Please be seated. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer and former monk, married Catherine von Bora, a former nun, in 1525. They were blessed with six children and by all accounts were models of a Christian family and a Christian marriage. Let the wife, Luther said, make the husband glad to come home. Let him make her sorry to see him go. So last week we looked at the reason why the man, the husband, would be glad to come home. And that is the wife in the spirit so fully mutually submits to her husband in respecting his authority that the husband just can't wait to get home to his beautiful bride. And today we will consider why the wife should be sorry to see her husband go. The husband is to be the servant leader of the home to such an extent that the wife can't hardly stand the idea of being away from her servant leader husband. So today we want to look at the nature, grounds, and importance of the husband's role in sacrificially loving his wife as a servant leader. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read verse 18, and then we'll look at verses 21 through 33 as we see that, that marriage is the first example of mutually submitting that Paul mentions in verse 21. And one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is mutually submitting to one another. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the clear teaching of your Word. Grant us all that we need. Give us the Spirit that, that we would come under the teaching and the preaching of your word today, not by my power, but by the power of the Spirit. And so change us and conform us to your word. And Father, I know there are those here today who are not married. And Lord, I also know that your word is sufficient and your word has something today for us all, married and unmarried. And so, Father, bless us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 18, Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Well, as we look at this passage today, we want to look first at, at the nature of the husband's role in mutually uh, submitting to his wife by sacrificially loving her as a servant uh, leader. And there was a couple that had been married for 15 years. And they began having more and more disagreements. And they didn't like that. And so the wife came up with this really great idea that they would make two boxes and they would, both of these boxes would be fault boxes. And the idea is that for a month, the wife would write on a slip of paper every, every time the husband did something that irritated her, she would, she would note that on a little slip of paper and put it in his box. And then every time the wife did something that irritated the husband, he would write that on a slip of paper and put it in her box. After the worship service, there'll be boxes for sale <laughs> in the foyer. All proceeds will go to missions. And so the end of the month came. They were sitting, having a meal, and they decided to open the boxes. And you know what the wife did? She was diligent in her notations, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks throughout the home. And so the wife presented the husband's box to him and he opened it and began reading all of these things that the wife had dutifully and diligently put down and he just reflected upon all that he had done wrong for the entire month. Guys, can you identify with this fellow? And then it was the wife's turn. The husband presented her the box and she opened up the box and began pulling out a slip of paper. The first slip of paper said, I love you. Second slip of paper said, I love you. 
Guess what the third slip of paper said? Every slip of paper in that box said, I love you. What a guy. Don't you want to be married to him, ladies? Maybe you are. I mean, this is an example of love being blind, right? We know it's not. I mean, no doubt every wife wants to hear her husband say, I love you, but is to love merely saying, honey, I, I love you. Is it primarily a sentiment or a feeling? It's really interesting that that Thomas Akempis, a, a German monk who lived in the 14th century, said this about love. Whoever loves much, does much. Love is action. It is saying, I love you. But it's also loving actions for the spiritual good of the, the object of your love. So as we consider the nature of the husband's role in loving his wife, let's first look at the Greek words that we find. There are really three Greek words that, that describe love. There's eros, there's that erotic, uh, sexual, intimate love that is to very much be a part of marriage. Think of a three-legged stool. These three, three loves should be uh, equal and very much present in every marriage. That's the, the phileo love that, that many have termed Friendship, love, which I think is a good way to understand it. But the word that Paul uses throughout Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to the end, is agape love. Husbands, love. Husbands, agape your wives. And here's a helpful understanding or definition of agape love that I, that I came across. I want to quote this, this commentator. To love, to agape love your wife, men, means this. To have a strong, non-sexual affection and love for, for a person and their good as, understand, as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of your rights and privileges in another's behalf. In other words, dying to self, dying to your rights to do what is in the best interest of someone else, in this case, our wives. So let's look at this in the context of God's agape love towards us, God's sacrificial love, loving actions toward us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 10 through 11, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then just a small part of that wonderful John 13 passage where Jesus really defines love in very, very understandable and powerful terms in John 13 verses 4 through 15 if after washing his disciples feet by taking the form of a servant 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. God has agape loved us and we are to agape love one another because we have received the love of God. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it's called the love chapter. Let me just remind us. And again, think of love as action. Think of all the actions that we find here in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My love is first and foremost action to sacrificially benefit and to meet another person's good. As Christ loved the church, Paul says, man, that is the extent that you are to love your wives. And how did Christ love the church? Christ forfeited his right, his privilege, his life. He set it all aside in order to love the church, in order to love people like you and me. Husbands, so sacrifice in agape love for your wives. As Christ loved the church, this qualifies how the husband is to go about fulfilling his role as the head or the authority over the wife. Christ, the head of the church, expressed his authority. He led by going to the cross. That's how it, that's what really characterizes his headship. That's what characterizes how he expressed his authority. That's what characterizes how he led. And men, the same should be true of us. The way, what should characterize and define how we lead in the home is taking up our cross and following Jesus and sacrificing for the good of our wives and our children. As Christ loved the church, <laughs> This is not a suggestion. Paul was not recommending this as a good way to go about marital bliss. It is a command in the language of the Greek. Husbands, obey God and please Him in sacrificially laying down your life, forfeiting everything, your rights, your privilege, yourself in order to do good to your wife and to love her to put yourself aside and put her needs up front to put your schedule and to die to it and we all have things to do we all have responsibilities i'm not talking about just simply being faithful but you know how we can prioritize so many other things than our wives. 
Are you willing to die to your schedule, your priorities? What about sexual lust? Die to that and desire your wife only. Die to your pride and humbly mutual, mutually submit. I mean, every day, what Paul is saying here, husbands, you need to die. You need to love sacrificially. You need to seek the good of your wife. The nature of the husband's role in mutually submitting to his wife is to love her sacrificially as Christ loved the church. It's a high calling, isn't it? We need the Spirit to fill us daily to love like Paul commands us to love here. Well, the grounds of the husband's role in, in, in loving his wife is also found in this passage of Scripture. I don't know, maybe you like the mystery author, Agatha Christie. Maybe you, you like her, her, her mysteries. Well, you, you may not know this about Agatha Christie. She, she said this, an archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. And she knew this to be true because she was married to an archaeologist. Well, Paul would say that the best husband a woman could have is a husband who knows and embraces the grounds for his role of being a servant leader of his wife. And I like the term servant leader here because that's exactly what Paul is emphasizing in this passage. I take verses 26 through 32, the, the bulk of our text today, as really Paul get, giving the grounds for the husband expressing his authority in being a servant leader of his wife. I mean, Paul correlates this mystical union that exists between Christ and his church to the union that exists between husband and wife. As we are one body in Christ with Christ as the head. So the husband and wife are one with the husband as the head. That is the, the parallel, the correlation that the Apostle Paul is, is, is making here. The church's union with Christ and one another, the husband and wife union together. And Paul appeals to the creation account. And last week, remember, we appealed to the creation account, uh, not necessarily explicitly, but I think it was embedded in what we were talking about from Scripture last week, where the husband's headship is understood in light of what God does in Genesis chapter 2 and setting up his authority structure. And so Paul explicitly refers to the creation account here as he relates the grounds of the husband's authority with regards to this union that exists when the husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. That I believe Paul is using 
from Genesis chapter 2 to show the grounds of the husband's role as servant leader in, in the home. And as we look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, we see that, that the two becoming one really points to intimacy in that relationship. There is physical or sexual intimacy, but also think of it in terms of emotionally one, spiritually one. It's just very fundamental part of God's design for marriage, this principle of oneness that we find here, this intimacy that the husband and the wife enjoy together. And so Paul uses then the analogy of the church's union and believers' union with Christ to show the grounds of the husband's union with his wife being the grounds of his headship in the home. And notice what Paul says in verse 32. This is a profound mystery. He's not talking about husbands not understanding their wives. He's talking about this profound mystery that is kept from those outside the church but revealed to those that are in Christ. And, and, and what is this mystery? It is the divine purpose of God in uniting sinners to Christ in saving faith on the merits of the sacrificial love of Christ for those very sinners. And so they are united together. Consider in verse 25, Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. Christ loved sacrificially to redeem her from sin. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And the goal of this, this work of Christ in uniting the church to himself is this in verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So all that Christ did as the ultimate servant leader was for the spiritual and eternal good of his bride, the church, because they were and are in union with one another. Then in verse 28, Paul exhorts husbands in the same way Christ loved his own body, the church, so love your wives as your own body, for she is one with you. Now, no husband can redeem his wife. A husband can't redeem himself. And when Paul mentions sanctification here, he's not talking about the husband sanctifying the wife. But isn't it true that both husbands and wives are tools of sanctification that God uses to promote godliness in that couple? And so Paul is not suggesting that husbands are to redeem like Christ redeemed. That's not the point. The point is that because of this union between the church and Christ, Christ could not do harm to the church, for in so doing he would do harm for, to himself. And this is of great assurance to us. That because of this union, we should expect Christ to do good to us. We should not expect Christ to 
harm us because of the union. If Christ harms his church, he harms himself. And so Paul, reflecting on that very profound biblical truth, says to the husband, Husband, your wife is part of you, and for you to harm her is to harm you. And as Christ, in union with the church, seeks the good of the church, you, husband, in union with your wife, is to, you are to be all about seeking the good of your wife. And this is not some self-protecting things. You know, husbands, do, do yourself a favor by, by not harming your wife and so harm yourself. But it really points to husbands being in union with their wives, leading their wives by acting sacrificially toward them for their ultimate good. And because of this union, as we are assured that Christ will do us good because we are one with one another and with him as our head, wives, you should be assured because of this union that your husband is out for your good. And men, what I just said should be very much part of a check and how we go about being a husband. Are we loving our wives so that they are assured that we intend their good? Let that settle in. That's why this analogy that Paul uses is so powerful and descriptive of the grounds for a husband being the servant leader in his home by sacrificially loving his wife. The nature of the husband's role is sacrificial love. The grounds is this union that God has designed. And now let's look at the importance of the husband's role in loving his, his, his wife. Soon after a couple's last child, had left for college, they, they were sitting on the couch and the husband had his head in his wife's lap and, and the wife reached down and took the husband's glasses, took them off and just looked down and in, into his face and said, oh honey, without your glasses you look like that handsome young man that I married so many years ago so tender and the husband grinned and looked up at his wife and said oh honey without my glasses you don't look so bad yourself <laughs> well man let me ask you this question does she still look good to you with your glasses on now I'm wearing contacts so I would have taken my glasses off does she still look good to you are you still pursuing her? Are you cherishing your wife? 
We looked at the importance of the wife's role in respecting your husband's authority because the husband's greatest need is respect. Today we're looking at the wife's greatest need. Look at verse 29. As Christ nourished and cherished the church, so husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. That's my interpretation of one truth in verse 29. Nourishing and cherishing your wife, husband, is how we, we, we go about sacrificially loving for the good of our wives. And our wives' greatest need, according to many, and I think it's true, I think we see it right here in the text. I think we see it in our marriage vows that we take, the traditional vows. A woman's greatest need is to be cherished by her husband. And what does it mean to cherish? I, I, I've really almost thought about just having some of our wives stand up and tell yeah, you're the authority on what it means to be cherished. I'm, I'm just simply speaking as a, as a lowly husband on this important matter. But I felt like that would be too risky. <laughs> just kidding. I really did think about that. Because sometimes I, sometimes I don't get it. My, my head can be pretty thick. What does it mean to cherish Renee? Well, anyway, here's kind of the, 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 the technical <laughs> definition of it. It's not very tenderhearted, but nonetheless, here we go. Actually, it is pretty tenderhearted because it says to treat your wife with tenderness and affection. That's a good way to cherish. Uh, to, to treat your, life, your wife with tenderness and affection so that, so that what's communicated to her is that Second to Jesus, we'll get that said. <laughs> Second to Jesus, that, that man, your wife is the most important thing in your life. She is the sole object of your tenderness and affection. doesn't mean you can't be tender towards others. Please be tender towards me. It doesn't mean you can't be, be affectionate towards others. But yet, first and foremost, you're, 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 you're zeroed in like, like, like a laser on cherishing your wife. And she says, my goodness, I am the sole object of my husband's tenderness and affection and love. I, I must be precious to him. I, I feel like, like, like the finest and, and most valuable work of art as I live under, listen to this, as I live under his headship. How profoundly distorted has the world got it? If a man is truly living out the biblical truth of headship, his wife will feel cherished. The most important thing in his life, she will soar, she will be nourished, she will excel as a woman. And the world wants you to think the very opposite. I prefer God's word. You know, I was recently faced with the brutal reality that I, I have, I often fail to nourish Renee. I acted indifferent towards her just about a week or so ago, even as I was preparing to preach this sermon. Man, I messed up. How could I do that? <laughs> 
And it just reminded me of how much I need Jesus, how much I need the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I will be mutually submissive to my wife as I serve as her servant leader who loves her sacrificially because of the union that God has brought about in our marriage, analogous to the union of Christ and his church, that she would feel cherished and be cherished by her husband. I fail at that. And I suspect there are other husbands here today who would come alongside me and admit failure in cherishing and nourishing our wives as we are commanded to do. We need the Spirit. We need grace. The nature of the husband's role is sacrificially loving his wife to be that servant leader God has commanded in her life. The grounds is that wonderful union. The two shall become one. The oneness that we enjoy in marriage. The intimacy that we have analogous to Christ's union with his church. And the greatest need and the importance of the husband's role is to cherish her, his wife to meet her greatest need. Nature, the nature of the man's role. We've also looked today at the grounds of it and the importance of it. I think we see these three points of the sermon reflected in the life of a married couple that are now with the Lord. Maybe the name Robertson McCulkins rings a bell to you and his wife, Muriel. Robertson and Muriel were missionaries in Japan and served with former members of this church who are also now with the Lord, John and Mary Reed. And I recall John and Mary often speaking of the McQuilkins. So after Robertson and Muriel came off the mission field, he became the first president of Columbia Bible College and seminary in the 60s, where he served until 1990. And so many were surprised when Robertson had to retire. He retired eight or so years earlier than he should have. He still had much tread left on his tires. But he retired early in order to give full-time care to his wife, Muriel, who had Alzheimer's. And she was so fearful when Robertson wasn't there that he felt like he could not fulfill his duties at Columbia and also minister to his wife. And so he retired to take up the mantle of full-time care for Muriel. And Robertson was interviewed by Christianity uh, Today and... and <laughs> And Christianity Today asked, Robertson, why? Why would you retire well before your time? This is what he said. When the time came, the decision was firm. 
It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before in sickness and in health till death do us part, this was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned. However, it was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn, and such a partner she was, if I took care of her for 40 years, I could never be out of her debt. And Ed Stetzer, who is a writer in our circles, wrote this after McQuilkin's own death when he said, not only was Robertson McQuilkin like Jesus in keeping his word to Muriel, he was like Jesus in his love for her. Men, we need to tell our wives, like the man with the slips of paper, I love you, and no doubt every wife wants to hear those three little words that have such meaning from their husbands. But we must never forget that true love is more than just saying I love you. It is loving as a servant leader by giving the full measure of our devotion for the spiritual and physical and emotional and every other good of our wives. Sacrificial love is sacrificial actions. Forfeiting and setting aside self and rights and privileges for the good and well-being of another of our wives. Not only was Dan or Dave or Stuart like Jesus in keeping his word to their wives, he was like Jesus in loving her. Men, may this be said of us. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to pour out your mercy and grace. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are faithful to fill our hearts to overflowing with the love of Christ and all that we need to be followers of Jesus Christ and for today to be faithful as servant leaders of our lives. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of us all here in our marriages as well as those who are unmarried to see the fact that you define what love is. You show us what sacrificial love is. You show us what it means to give your, the full measure of devotion for the well-being of another. And Father, in so many areas of our lives, may we, by your grace, love like Jesus loved. And in particular, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. This is our prayer. 
And we ask you for the grace to bring it about. In Christ's name, amen.